Once you take your Bibles and open them, return back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13 is where we will be this morning. Thank you. Uh, I want to just say thanks to the men that are working on the room over here. Uh, next week, you'll, Lord willing, see more framing coming up as they're building this out. Thanks for kind of navigating around the, the mess over here. But uh, what a great privilege. you got hand, so many guys coming here and working hard to, to build this room out. And we should give them a round of applause. They are working hard. Giving up a lot of time and energy to, to build out. There'll be a second floor up there, and that'll be a great thing. So, Well, this morning, we are continuing our summer study that we are doing. Me, uh, this is your first Sunday. I'll clue you into what we're doing. Our, our normal method here is we just teach expositionally through books of the Bible. We've been going through a study of Luke for some time now. And uh, at the beginning of the summer, uh, I put out a, uh, a survey to the church saying, what questions do you have that have come up through our study? What questions do you want answered? And we're spending the summer answering the questions that have arisen. I do believe that, that preaching is not just an exercise in, in education. It's shepherding people's hearts to really corral around the Word of God. And what we want to do is just answer questions and make sure that as we're studying through Luke or whatever book we're studying through that your questions are getting answered along the way. And so we are tackling this week questions about love. We've tackled questions uh, about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, to be all in. We've tackled questions of forgiveness and, and uh, last week questions, what's the relationship between the Old Testament and New Testament? And this week we're tackling the question, questions concerning love. As Jesus spent time in Luke, and as we've studied in Luke, what is love and love fulfilling the law, we're going to tackle that, those questions today. But before we get into it, would you just uh, join me as I open our time in prayer? Would you bow your head with me? Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to uh, have sung together. I thank you for these young men and women that put the service order together and have shepherded us through worship here. Thank you for the next generation that's here. Father, I think of the psalmist who as he was considering the Babylonian captivity as Israel was being dragged away. And, and he said, oh God, let me stay alive so one more generation can know your name. And, and, and Lord, we have that same passion here. God, let the next generation know your truth and proclaim your truth. And I thank you for this army of young people that want to worship you and proclaim your name. May you use them mightily in your kingdom. God, thank you for the privilege we have now to be in your word, to deal with a question before us today about love. Guide our hearts. Help me to get out of the way and whatever frailty or ignorance I bring to the table, Lord, may that be set aside through the power of your word and may that change our hearts from the inside that we might be internally motivated to live for you and to love you and love others the way you design. Thank you for the privilege of being here. In Christ's name, amen. So again, we're, we're tackling this issue this morning of love. And, and love is an, a very wide and broad topic, right? I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's a vast conversation. We use the word love in a variety of different ways, right? I mean, I can say I love my wife. I can say, oh, man, I love Slurpees, right? And it's two different things. And so trying to understand 
the difference between the vastness of love is hard, and especially in our language, only having one word for it. As most of you know, the Greeks had four different words that try to cover the different levels of love, because they would talk about an intimate love between a, a husband and a wife, and that was a type of love, you know, a passionate intimacy. They would talk about an, an affectionate love, that kind of love you have, the tenderness you feel towards someone. You might feel that way towards a child or a friend. Or they would talk about family love, that commitment you have to your family. Or they would talk about that service love, that sense that I'm going to serve you at expense to myself. And what's interesting, if you look at love and you study love and you study these, these layers of love, you'll realize that each one of those loves have its own set of values to it. There's a value associated with that love. And so oftentimes when you're talking about love, you're also talking about what you value. And whatever love you put at the, at the kind of the, the premium, the thing that is the most important love, that will become your central value, if you think about it. Right, in our culture, what do we put out as our central value? You know, in terms of the secular culture, you know, if you were to rate those four loves, the sec our culture is very passionate-driven, intimacy-driven, not in an appropriate way, in immoral ways, right? And that idea that, that that romantic love is the pinnacle of all loves and all the movies are, you know, romantic movies are all designed around that romantic feeling. And that's even leaked over sometimes into some Christian fiction literature. I remember when I was a youth pastor, some of you know this story, when I was a youth pastor, I was in the room and this girl walked in, she had a Christian romance novel, she put it under her chair, and I was like, Christian romance novel. And I picked the thing up, and I still, this is 20 years ago, but I still remember the scene in the book. This girl's on a beach, and she's crying. Will God ever give her someone who will love her? And she looks across the beach, and there's a guy on a horse with a white flowing shirt riding with a Bible. <laughs> right? Yeah, seriously, he's riding with a Bible. And he gets off, and he gets down on his knees, and he, he wipes the tear from her eye, and he says, your eyes are the color eyes that every girl should have. Okay? Right? Romance! It's like, that's what our culture is. This is it. This is the pinnacle. We've arrived. Now, now, the question is this. When Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, I'm giving you a, a, a new commandment. It's old, but I, I'm, I'm going to reshape it a little bit. And it's this. I want you to love one another. And when you do, the whole world will know you belong to me. What kind of love was he talking about? What kind of love was he ultimately talking about? Well, that love that he was talking about is the love that if you walk in it, you become in the center of God's mission. And that love, if you walk in it, allows you to fulfill the law of God. That love, if you walk in it, puts you right in the center of all that God is and all that God is doing. And so the question is, what is that love? Well, we're going to talk about that today by answering a question that came in. And what we're going to do is, we're going to, as we deal with that question that came in from you about love, we're going to unpack the nature of love. And as we do, there's just two things that I hope would happen. It would come as a result of this study and our time in, in 1 Corinthians here. Number one, I, my heart is that this 
would impact your heart and motives. That it would start to change you from the inside. And second, that it would then, because you're getting changed from the inside, that out of that, you would have an impact on the world that you live in. Your spheres of influence. The people that are in your life. So I'm just praying that those two things would happen. So let's tackle the question. Our first point here this morning. The question. Again, if you're here, people submitted questions. We're answering the question. Here's the question that came in. question's pretty simple. If love fulfills the law, then can someone be a Christian outside of faith in Jesus because they love someone? That was the question. Okay, it's a good question. Because we talked in Luke that love fulfills the law of God. And so the, this question, if you want to unpack it, there were some examples that the person who gave the question gave. But the example would be this. Let's say somebody recognizes there's some war-torn country out there, right? Some country out there where war is ravishing and uh, there's a need for a hospital, let's say. Somebody goes to that hospital, gives up all the comforts of Western culture, goes and lives in this war-torn country and is serving in that place. Have they fulfilled the law of God? Because they have put the needs of someone else ahead of them. So that was the question that they posed. Is that the kind of love that fulfills the law of God? So there's the question. So now what we've got to do is is ask ourselves, can that make someone fulfill the law of God? So let's look at the answer to that question. I'm going to give you the answer to that question in, in, in one simple way. That is not the love that fulfills the law of God. So there's the answer directly. Want to answer directly? No. Leaving Western culture and going to some war-torn place to start a hospital, even though you have sacrificed everything, is not or might not be by itself the love that fulfills the law of God. Okay? Now what we have to do in order to do this is that we have to understand the difference between gospel love and a big word, altruism. Altruism. We've got to understand the difference between those two things. And I want to set this up so that when we get into our study of 1 Corinthians, you can see that this is what Paul is doing in this passage. He's setting up the difference between love and an altruistic action. Now, what is altruism? What is it? Some of you know the word. You shook your head. Other of you, you kind of went, uh-oh, that's a big one. I don't even know how to spell it. Hey, here, let me give you a definition. This is the technical definition of altruism. Altruism is the belief in or practice of disinterested and selfless concern for the well-being of others. Now, that definition probably didn't help you a whole lot, so let me unpack it further. It simply means this. You hear of war-torn country that needs a hospital? That external need has motivated you to set aside comforts, self. You show a disinterest towards yourself, and you say, I'm willing to go to that war-torn place and serve there. Okay? So that's altruism. Now, altruism looks a lot like gospel love. Because gospel love would potentially have the same action. 
But gospel love has something different. Now, altruism, I think, is the greatest form of human love. It's, it's anybody, you know, you don't have to be in Christ to go serve as a doctor or a nurse or, or go do something like that in, in some war-torn place. I'm just picking on the medical thing. It's the easy one. But whatever, anything that you would put yourself out there for. Okay? Altruism is, is the highest form of human love. But gospel love is different, and this is what we're going to see today. Gospel love is different. Gospel love is not driven by solely an external need. Altruism is externally driven. I'm going along life, I hear of something, oh, I'm, I'll give this to you. A, a firefighter running into a, a burning building, right? Building's on fire, I'm going to run there and grab people out. It's a very altruistic thing to do. Put your own life on the line to rescue someone else. It's a great thing. But it's not the love that puts you in the center of the mission, and it's not the love that puts you in the center of, of, of fulfilling the law. Here's the reason why. Gospel love is driven by an internal desire. Now, now here's, this, this might throw a little curveball at you here, but, but it'll connect. By an internal desire to be one, first of all, with the body of Christ. I say, what? Why did I bring the body of Christ in? Remember John 13, 34, 35. Don't let that leave your brain. By your love for each other, the world will know. So the first element of gospel love is the way that I am internally driven towards my heart, my mind, my attitude towards Christ and his people. Flowing from that then comes a full mission to the world. But altruism does not necessarily need you to be one with the body of Christ. All it needs is a fire, a building on fire that you can go run into and rescue people. Gospel love starts at a different starting point. It starts with the way that you think and feel and process others. This is what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians. This is the key to the whole 1 Corinthians 13 passage. Let me set it up for you, and then we'll, we'll look at the passage here, and you'll see it. What Paul is doing is he's talking to this church in Corinth, and he's telling this church, hey, listen, you guys have a ton of gifts. You've got some of the most brilliant people in your church. You've got philosophers everywhere. You've got brilliant speakers. You've got people who, who will run into burning buildings to save others. You have got everything but you're missing something you're missing love true gospel love the love that fulfills the law the love that overcomes sin you see the difference is this altruism might serve you in a service sort of way but it never overcomes sin gospel love begins with this internal relationship in which the sin that goes on within relationships is actually overcome. And then from that comes the acts of service. And so what Paul is saying is you've got all the externals, you've missed the internal. So when you get to 1 Corinthians 13, as beautiful of a passage as it is and as poetic as it is, it will change your perspective if you read it as a rebuke which is more of what it is. 
you're missing something. You're missing the gospel. You're missing gospel love. So what he's going to do is he's going to show them now. First thing he does in the first three verses is he shows them that altruism is not enough. It's not enough. So let's look at the passage here. And we'll, we'll unpack this whole passage, well, just the first seven verses, actually, and then we'll tie it all together here. But he shows them altruism is not enough. And what he's going to do is he's going to highlight their strengths. And he's going to show them their strengths, but yet how, by the fact that they have all of those strengths, those ability to, to serve and do things and entertain people or whatever they have, all that you're able to do without gospel love is worthless in the economy of God, no matter how good it is. So look at this. He deals with three skill sets. First, he deals with eloquence. Look at the eloquent person. Look at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. So here's what, what's he talking about. He's talking about, first of all, eloquence. Remember this. When you read the Bible... Yet sometimes it, we, 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 we might blow past the verse like this or wonder what he's talking about, tongues of men and angels. And we'll get into that in a second here. But, but just keep in mind one just simple reality. They didn't have television, right? They didn't have radio. So a large portion of, of a person's entertainment and interaction with, with each other was live. If you wanted to go hear a singer, you had to go hear them sing. There was no recording of them. Much of entertainment in that culture was predicated on someone standing up on a stage and speaking. And so here's what he's saying. You might have that ability to excel as the world's greatest speaker, and you might even have achieved an ability, I think he's going to what you might call a, an absurd statement, the ability to speak the language of the angels. You might have achieved the highest level of eloquence, but... Without love, it's just a symbol crashing in the ears of God. Now, you would know what a symbol would crash. If I took two symbols and just crashed them, you'd just be annoyed, right? You'd be annoyed. It's just, it's, it's noise. And he said, that's what it is. You see, that skill set by itself, no matter how you would evaluate it on an earthly plane, is noise because in, in the heavenly plane, you need gospel love. Okay, so that's the first thing he says. Now he moves from the eloquent person to the spiritual person. Look at verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. You could actually insert the word, a synonym in there, worthless. You could put that word in there. Now, if you think about it, if you put the word worthless in there or nothing, but yet you think about what he just said, right? Let, let's just look at these things. Prophetic powers, if you have the ability to understand and proclaim the very voice of God, and not only that, you have the ability to understand the complexities of truths like the Trinity and, and things that are beyond just the scope of human reasoning and you can enter into the divine mind of God. And you can understand even the very revealed word of God and have such faith that no obstacle would ever keep you from 
from wavering in your walk with God. Nothing could happen that would make you waver. Now, if you had all that, wouldn't you nominate that one to be an elder? I mean, that is really incredible. But he's saying, if you have all of that and you're missing gospel love, you're worthless. Why is Paul using these extreme examples? He's trying to get everybody's attention onto what? Love. He's trying to get them to say, do you understand the preeminence of love here? If, if this love that I'm talking about is not in the center of your pursuit of your life, then anything else you're pursuing is worthless. No matter how spiritual, no matter how eloquent, no matter how talented it is. Right? I mean, this is about as clear as it gets. And then notice the next one, he says. How about, I just call him the nice person, right? This is true altruism here. If I give away all that I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This kind of goes against that notion of, uh, that I can, you know, my... You know, the wage, some people believe this theology, the wages of sin is good works, right? Kind of their, their thought. I need my good works to outweigh my bad works. I need to do something to outweigh. And he's saying, do you understand? You can give it all away, right? I mean, you, you could jump in a fire for someone. But if you don't have love, you've gained nothing. God isn't working on those kind of scales, so, so what he has done, Paul has taken away the pursuit of, of any kind of external talents, any kind of spiritual pursuit outside of love, any kind of altruistic motives just to replace service with, with love. And he's saying, no, you can't do this. See, this isn't love. See, what you, what, what you have to understand is this. Gospel love, which we'll define here, we'll allow Paul to define it for us here in a minute, Gospel love takes me at a place that confronts me with my own sin. It confronts me with my heart to forgive, my heart to let go, my heart to keep pursuing, my heart, right? That's what gospel love. See, you could call me at any point, in, you know, you could call me at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, I need a ride to the hospital, and I'm not going to get mad at you. It's not going to bother me. If you need a ride to the hospital, call me at 2 o'clock in the morning. But let's say we have some kind of a conflict. Now, I'll still drive you to the hospital, but it's much harder to say, Steve, let it go. Let love and the cross forgive. Quit nitpicking them and storing up accounts. That's gospel love. See, that's where gospel love begins. See, gospel love begins with how I am processing you. And he's saying, listen, it's easy to take someone to the hospital at 2 in the morning. It's easy to say, I'm going to just fall in love with Jesus by myself and not deal with the church because the church is filled with a bunch of losers and all they do is hurt people, so I'm going to stay in my home and just worship Jesus there. That is so easy to do because it doesn't require the gospel. But what the gospel does is what? Overcome sin. The very essence of the message of the gospel is Christ died for sinners, right? He overcame sin. So, gospel love then says, 
the first motivation of my life isn't just to say, I'm content to take you to the hospital at 2 in the morning, and then I'm just going to kind of talk to Heather about you in private. And that's where our existence is going to be. I'll take you to the hospital, but I'm going to hold a grudge against you. See, that's altruism, and Paul says, that gains you nothing. Gospel love first says, Steve, forgive this person. Let it go. Recognize Christ died and forgave that sin. Why are you holding on to it? Why are you holding on to what God has already forgiven? Why are you storing it up? Totally different, isn't it? And he's saying this. You can have all of that, but it's not enough. So what is love? Let's look at love. Okay, because, because what we want to do is we have to recognize that service by itself is not a substitute for love. Genuine love will produce service, but service is not a substitute. And so what I have to do is recognize that, that I cannot disconnect this. So let's look at the heart and the nature of love. And what he's going to do is he's going to call this church to first of all look at its relationships within the body, within each other. He's saying, you guys have all these external gifts, you're doing all this stuff, but look at what's going on in your church. Look at this, you're missing something. Now, mind you, we have to recognize this. A couple of things here before we look at these, uh, um, these, this description here. First is that the church is a very unique collection of people because God's the one who's in charge of who gets in, right? I mean, could you imagine if any one of us was in charge of letting people in to the body of Christ? You, you know, you might think you wouldn't keep people out. <laughs> but somewhere in your flesh, you might start making some distinctions. But God thrusts us in. And now we're thrusted with people who are not like us. First of all, they have different interests than us. We're thrusted around people who are sinners. We're thrusted around people who make different decisions with their life than we make. We're thrusted around people who come from different cultural backgrounds. And we're thrusted around people who will sin against us. And then Jesus says, listen, by your love for each other, that's the starting point of the mission. That's intense, isn't it? That's intense. But that's the gospel. Because the gospel, we sung it today, he is mighty to save. He overcomes that which cultures and kingdoms cannot overcome. He can take two enemies and make them one. That's the power of the gospel. And so he wants us to show this. And so we then have to stop and say, okay, we're going to look at our love for each other. Now as we go through this list, I want you to keep in mind something. This list, I'm going to play a little bit, do some wordsmithing here. This is not a checklist, it's a punch list. Now Whatever, I might be using the word punch list wrong, so I'll give you my definition of this. A checklist is just the things to do. If I say, here's a, here's a chest checklist of just things that have to get done. A punch list is, is something that I've got to look at myself. Like, here's my punch list for my project. Now, when I look at this list, what I'm looking at here is not like, okay, patient, got it. Kind, got it. What I'm looking at is patience. Okay, God, put me in situations that... Bring me to the end of myself so that I might be patient. Let me work on this. I'm working on it. I'm not just checking it off a list. I want to work on it. I got work I need to get done. 
And so when I look at this list, I'm not trying to lay, I don't think Paul's laying a law on us here. I think what he's doing is he's saying, this is the heart and this is the stuff that God's actually going to be working on in your life. And one of the crucibles that he will work on it is not only your own family, but also the family of families, the church. Our tendency is to be like the church in Corinth, to bypass that element and do it on our own. And Paul's trying to push them back into each other, saying, no, this is the heart. So let's go through this list. Let me just define some of these for you here. There'll be some definitions up on the board as we go through it. First, he says, love is patient. Notice what he says. Patience, it's kind of it's the essence of holding out your mind before acting. It's self-control. It's not impulsiveness. You know, it's the ability to process things clearly. That's patience. And so he's saying, you know, the essence of love is going to be, and mind you, this is all human relationships he's dealing with here, is the idea that, that there's a self-control of my brain and my heart, and it's essential that I, that I operate with this. Then he says love is kind. Kind is a unique word because kind isn't just like a sweet spirit. It actually carries the idea of being useful. It's being useful. You know, uh, you know you, I, I saw this happen one time. Somebody saw this lady carrying these boxes out of a store, big old bunch of boxes. And I was a few people behind her, and I was trying to run up to, to help her. And this high school kid's walking in front, and he sees her, and he walks through the door, and the door just starts to close, and the thing just closes right in her face, right? And she juggles the boxes. So she says to him, Hey, why don't you hold the door? She kind of propped it open with her shoulder. He says... Not my fault you're not fast enough. Walks on. Now what offends you about that story? What offends you is that kindness wouldn't just, just say, oh, look at her. She's carrying those boxes. Oh, look at that door. It's going to hit her in the face. Aw. Okay, that's not kindness, right? Kindness is you're going to hold the door open for her. Can I take some of those boxes for you? Can I help you? That's what he's saying. Love at its very core shows kindness. And shows kindness to sinners. Love does not envy. The next one. It doesn't boil over or stew over with all these unmet desires. How come you have this and I don't? How come you're not doing it this way and I'm not? That's, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't look around and compare yourself to others. And become resentful of someone else's blessings. God has blessed them and you say, it's not fair. That's not fair, that kind of internal sense of justice you have. That isn't love. Love doesn't boast. A boasting is just basically you turn the conversation to yourself. Everything's about you. It's elevating yourself. It's a bragger. But here's the essence of, of selfish, or boasting. Boasting is when you want the glory instead of God getting the glory. Love wouldn't walk into a room and make it about you. Love is not arrogant. Arrogant literally means to puff yourself up. It's not interested in making sure everyone knows what you've accomplished. It's not arrogant. He says love is not rude. Rudeness really is the idea of tact, tactful behavior, but, but it's the essence of, you know, we all maybe either were this way or we know someone who's like this. 
you know, someone who, if they think it, they feel like they need to say it because it's true, right, you know? That person who's just going to say what they, that's an ugly shirt. I'm just saying the truth. Can't stop me from being truthful, right? Say, listen, love is, does not rude. That's rude. It might be true. It might be a hideous shirt, but don't be rude. Love would never want to hurt someone like that and make them feel bad. It's not rude. Love doesn't insist on its own way, right? Insisting on your own way is when you say, this is what I need to survive, and if I don't get it, then I'm out of here. I'm not going to do this. You push me to the end of myself. Once this relationship starts costing me something, I'm out the door. Love isn't that way. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not pushing its agenda. It doesn't get into relationships where it's like, hey, how do I withhold my agenda a little bit here? So I'm going to be noncommittal with you, Mike. You're going to say, hey, can you do something? Well, yeah, kind of maybe, maybe. Something better comes along. Love wouldn't treat you that way with that kind of disrespect. Love isn't that way. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. You, you understand what that means. Push to anger, fly off the handle. Irritability is that response like, what? You know, that kind of choppy, static response like that. It's not resentful. Resentful is the idea of kind of storing up things. Some people love new relationships because they haven't really collected all the resentment yet, right? They get in a new relationship and then they store a bunch of resentment. It's like, I can go find another friend because I'm sick of that one, right? And then, but the reason why that one's all new and exciting is they haven't stored up resentment yet for this new one. But they'll do that. Eventually you'll store up resentment and then I got to move on to someone else because I'm frustrated with them now. You think love doesn't do that. It doesn't store it up. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoings. It's very easy to think of, uh, um, you know, rejoicing in wrongdoings is, is, is that whole notion of finding joy in the things that God hates. Finding our entertainment in that. You know, and, 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 and joining in with evil. Joining in with the... Even, even in essence, it, it actually carries, it's a little bit even wider than that. It's, it's the whole notion of even, carries the, the, the essence of even like joining in a complaint session. You know, could you imagine, I could, I could probably do this. We could gather a bunch of people, right? Not you guys, but someone else, you know. We could gather a bunch of people in a room, and I can say, why did we get that pulpit? I mean, do we need more black? Seriously. I mean, don't you think we could have got something with some color to it? Why a black pulpit? Someone would join in that conversation, wouldn't they? Oh, yeah, I know. It's so frustrating. You know, in fact, ever since we got there, everything went black. Black, 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 black. Black's everywhere, right? <laughs> just join in. Come on in the complaint session. Let's just rip it all apart. See, that's not the essence of love. So it can be seen all the way into rejoicing in some kind of crime and criminal activity like, like video games that are out there that are about stealing cars and killing people and, and all that kind of stuff, joining in that evil, all the way down to having a gripe session about the, a pulpit on a Sunday after church. It says love doesn't do that. What does love do? Now, notice what love does. Love rejoices in truth. Loves things that are true and righteous. Gets excited when things go right. Even defends the truth. Love loves that. And then these next ones that come up, this whole list that comes up next, what I want you to notice is that there's, there's a three-letter word in this whole list that's coming up. And the three-letter word is all. 
It's an interesting word. If you were to take the word all out of this next list, then that, that would make us feel more comfortable, right? Bears things, believes things, hopes things, right? You insert the word all in there, what have you done? You've just raised the bar, right? So notice what he says. Love bears all things. The idea of a support, a structure, like a, supporting a, a roof. It means this. I'm going to support you. I want to carry you. I don't want to turn against you because you've hurt me. I'm going to be a wall in your life no matter what. This particular struggle that we have is that when things get heavy to bear, it's easy to say, I'm just going to go home now and deal with it myself. And I'm not going to be in, in with you guys because it's just too hard. And he's saying, no. You see, love presses through and bears it up. Love is the love that after Peter denies Jesus three times, after he, Jesus said, you're going to do this, and Peter arrogantly says, no, I'm not. And then Peter does it. And Jesus, it says, and John looks at Peter after the third time, and then Peter runs away. And then Jesus comes up and says, Peter, man, do you love me? I'm not turning away from you. I'm going to bear this load. Love is that love that says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Put that debt on my account and pour your punishment on me now. I want to bear their sin. Even though they're making fun of me, mocking me, spitting on me, punching me, putting me in all this agony, I want to bear it. That's what love does. It bears all things. Love believes all things, which means believes the best first. Right? Somebody comes up and says, you believe what Jeff did the other day? Yeah, I do. He's a horrible sinner, right? Love would say, no, I can't believe that. I'm not going there. I want to believe the best. I want to hope the best. Love hopes all things, desires the best to be first, and endures all things. We'll walk through the journey until God takes us home. That's what love does. Now consider those definitions. And consider that Paul is writing this to a church. And he's saying, listen, and I want to get your eyes on all the things you should be doing right now. I want to get your eyes on your relationship with sinners. And I want you to realize that your skills, your gifts, your abilities, whatever you have, if you are disengaging from the very place God wants the gospel to be flowing out of first, Paul says you're worthless in the economy of God. That's strong words, isn't it? Very strong. This is why we say just because you went to a war-torn country doesn't necessarily mean that you're fulfilling the law. The way I've recognized, how do I fulfill the law? How do I love in the way that, that lets the whole world know that I belong to Jesus? It starts first in how I view and treat you. It starts there. It starts in, in this relationship right here. And it says, listen, am I moving with the overcoming power of the love of God in these relationships, or have I substituted that for studying in, on, in my own house by myself and then just taking you to the hospital when you have a need, throwing a little cash at the youth group when they need it? You see, service is not a replacement for love. And so... Paul says it's imperative that this church be this way. 
He says it's, it's imperative. And if we, were, if we had time to go through the rest of the chapter, we'd get all the way down to the point where he says, listen, do you understand how imperative it is? In fact, this is the thing that's going to be in heaven. This is the very core commitment that is going to be in the eternal relationship. Many things are going to pass away from this world. Many things will pass away. But the one that won't is love. It's eternal. And so you see, that's got to be at the core of your cross here. So let's put some definitions out there again just to, to understand this so as we get close to wrapping this up. Gospel love, then, we're talking about, question, what kind of love fulfills the law and can someone serve and fulfill the law? No, because they need gospel love. What is gospel love? The self-sacrificing pursuit of oneness with others through forgiving serving and caring others at expense to self but notice the key the self-sacrificing pursuit of oneness with others that's gospel love it's powerful to think about that what's altruism let's put that definition back up there the belief in a practice of disinterested selfless concern for the well-being of others you see i can be concerned about whether or not someone gets medical care or whether or not they get out of the building. But I can do all of that and still hold a grudge against you. I don't need to forgive and be one with you to pull somebody out of a building. But if I want to let the world know how awesome Jesus is, and if I want to let them know that he is mighty to save, that he is the author of salvation, that nothing in the world can overcome it, and all that we sung this morning and all of those songs that we sung, then we need to demonstrate the power of the gospel in the way that we care for each other. And if we don't do that, then all those acts of service are, are nothing. They're worthless. So let's wrap this up. If love fulfills the law, then if someone shows love and doesn't believe in the gospel, are they Christian? They're, they're at least not fulfilling the law. So what does this mean then? Well, remember at the beginning, I said, I, I want this to challenge you in your heart and your motives towards each other, and then I want this to impact the way you engage the world. So, so what does that mean? Let me just give you a couple things just to, to, to have for your mind to, to meditate on this week. First is this, is to ask God for a heart that will pursue oneness in the body of Christ. Right? That... that, that that you wouldn't take the complexities of the church as a sign that the church is broken. I want you to catch that. I don't want you to take the complexities of the church as a sign that the church is broken. The complexities of the church, God allows them so that the power of the gospel will overcome. And when the world sees that, they say Jesus is different than Buddha. He's different than Muhammad. He overcomes those differences. He can take the two, as Paul says in Ephesians, and make them one. So the complexities of the church aren't the things to drive us away from each other. They're the things that drive us towards each other. Now, that's a hard thing to hear, isn't it? Right? It's hard. I'm not telling you that, that I always joyfully run into those moments. What it does, though, is it reveals within me my flesh. 
and the areas where I need to say, God, I don't want to do this. Give me a heart to do it. Change my heart that I might overcome and put on display love so that the world would know. So my first step, ask God for a heart that will pursue oneness in the body of Christ. And that's going to challenge me to say, am I pursuing it or have I run away from it? It's going to challenge me. You know, sometimes if I give that little talk like, hey, it's important to be in church. And the reason why I, 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 might, I might put that out there isn't because, hey, we just need you here. We need the seats filled. It's because it's really complex if I'm not around you to love you. It's really complex to show the world the overcoming power of the love of God if you don't get to sin against me. I need you to sin against me so that I can deal with my flesh and overcome it and allow the world to see it. And you need me to sin against you so that you can forgive me and show the world how awesome the power of the cross is. And if I'm not around you, if I'm just saying, oh, the church is, I don't need, I don't have time, I got all this stuff going on, Sunday's my only day, then what am I saying? I don't value the gospel and the love and the fact that out of this flows the mission of the church. So there's the challenge. Second thing to think through. My second step is to ask God for ways to serve those who I'm seeking to show oneness towards. And to recognize that I'm going to be one with you. And that the very mission of the church is driven by oneness. And that our gathering together is not in opposition to the mission of God. But it, it's actually much deeper. And when I seek to be one with you, my church family, and I seek to serve you as my church family, it deepens my ability and it deepens my desire to serve those who aren't in the body of Christ. And so if I want to have an eyes out, as we've talked about, and be all in for Jesus and all of these phrases that we've heard, it has to flow first and foremost by the fact that we're going to love each other. And out of that will flow the mission. And so don't bypass the body of Christ to be altruistic in the world. But instead embrace the dysfunctions and say, man, I want to let the gospel reign and out of that love for each other, let's let the world know how awesome Jesus is. So, the prayer then, the prayer for our church is to make your name known throughout the world through our love. God, I want your name to be known everywhere through our love for each other. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray that now. Father, I'm grateful for such a good question that that came in, a challenging question, a question that drives us to the nature of love. You are the author of salvation. You are the one that conquered sin. You are the one that rose from the dead. You've done all of that. Lord, let us show that power here. Let us not look at this relationship as something that gets in the way of my relaxation or something that gets in the way of sharing Jesus or something that gets in the way of this or that or, or, or 
getting so frustrated with all the problems in the church to just say, I'm done with it. But instead say, God, just work in our heart to forgive, to let go of the accounts. Lord, those who have been hurt in churches, maybe even not this one, other churches, those that have been carrying grudges against people in the body of Christ for maybe years, maybe, maybe decades, Lord, may your spirit convict them now to let it go to not hold on to something that you suffered and died to forgive. Lord, may there be freedom today. And Lord, let us stand in grace because this mission brings us to the end of ourselves. And you're not waiting there to beat us up with a stick. But when we come with our own frailty and weakness, you respond by tenderly forgiving us and showing us love and being everything that that list that Paul wrote is. And so, Lord, help us to work on this together that we might fulfill your law and that the world would know the power of the gospel. May the mission of this church be driven by our gospel love for each other. In Christ's name, amen.